Welcome to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast, the podcast where we learn from cybersecurity experts how to stay safe, private, and secure on the cloud and in code. CSCP is hosted by Francesco Cipollone, your cybersecurity friend with a passion for all things cyber and sharing stories of other professionals with you. This episode is brought to you by the generosity of Phoenix Security Limited. Phoenix helps startups and enterprises solve complex software security supply chain visibility by leveraging the power of correlation and contextualization. Discover how Phoenix Security helps CISO and security engineers act fast, prevent burnout, and implement DevSecOps at the speed of cloud. Phoenix Security. Correlate, contextualize, and act on risk with one click. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast. This is your host, Francesco, and today, as we usually do, we have another session on uh, with a fellow veteran, and this is something that we do on the podcast, is usually something that we find particularly useful for people that are considering a career in cyber and are maybe exiting the military or ex-veteran to see that actually it's possible and actually adds a superpower on what you do. And today we have the the pleasure to have Lester Chung, that is an ex-naval combat officer. Lester has previously been in the military and then transitioned over to the more financial institution and more the civil space. Lester, without further ado, give us our audience a little bit of your background and welcome to the show. Great. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Francesco. Uh, So my name is Lester Chung, Um, like Francesco mentioned my background is in the navy so i'm a naval combat officer for about 12 years uh, with the singapore navy in that time i mean obviously there's all the experiences of running operations leadership and uh, all the usual things that you expect from veterans but my specialty was in war gaming and simulation uh, as well as exercises and that has uh, given me a direct input or direct experience into what I'm doing currently, which is running a security exercise program for a North American financial institution. So not everyone ha- would have that <laughs> similar experience or, or direct uh, how, how, I, how I managed to leverage my experience in the military directly into what I'm doing in in the corporate world right now, but uh, I believe there are a lot of parallels which anyone, in fact, can bring to any cybersecurity uh, organization. And I think this is just one unique experience that I hope to share and and we can uh, dive more into it. That's brilliant. Thank you. Thank you very much for coming into the show. I think it's it's a particularly interesting aspect and field that is not very common. And we have simulation exercise. We we start seeing in the industry more BCP and DR simulation, but war room and war game simulation and effectively extended threat modeling is something that is so particularly interesting because I think it makes the problem feel real. A lot of the time in cybersecurity, we talk about threats, we talk about this generic problem that might or might not happen if and if not something might happen. But the tabletop exercises, the war room simulation and games, I think it make them very real and very tangible to all the audience so can involve all the audience. But in, in your personal experience, how do you see how do you see this kind of exercise and in general how do you see the industry going forward and if it's maturing the worse 
more of these exercises versus when you started. Yeah. So I, I think what you pointed out was was uh, yeah really hit hit the nail on the head where it becomes real and because a lot of organizations when they start on their cybersecurity journey their build out it feels very painful because there's a lot of a lot of uh, rigor <laughs> right. a lot of um, a lot of theoretical uh, understanding and and hard work from things like mapping out all your mapping out all your IT resources mapping out your 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 threat surface getting your mm-hmm. vulnerability cycles into place it's it's not sexy right we all know it's painful <laughs> it is it but it has to be done so yes. I, I think where exercises come into play it it is flexible enough to help companies uh, regardless of wherever they are in their their cybersecurity maturity so if they're just starting out, then we can obviously run and design simple tabletop exercises just to get the juices flowing, get the executives thinking about, okay, if a ransomware were to hit, uh, what are the top 10 things I need to consider? Mm-hmm. So yeah, so a tabletop exercise, a simple one would start to get uh, them thinking about some of the difficult questions and help them understand why is my CISO asking me to spend X amount of dollars to, to, to do so many things. And yeah, so I, I think that's for a company that is starting on their journey, a simple tabletop would uh, hopefully open their eyes. And of course, if we, we go up the maturity scale, when once you have your build out of your, your, your SIM, your SOC, uh, all your tools to, to detect, to even uh, reverse malware and, mm-hmm. and, and detect some of these things and block that's where i think the and not many companies are able to do so to advance into more adversary emulation sort of Mm -hmm. uh, exercises where the raid team takes on the persona of a advanced uh, persistent threat actor and attacks your your company's networks so that takes a certain level of maturity to really uh, sort of pay dividends to the more complex uh, exercises that are available out there. Brilliant. And thank you very much for, for bringing that because it's, it's a particularly interesting initiative that sometimes in our industry, organization and, and vendors try to solve and sell, you know, this fantastic tool that solves all the problems in the world, but people are still, and simulation are still, I think, super important and a perception of it from a tool saying it's red to a person actually making it real, contextualizing in bringing it real to life with an exercise, I think adds a totally different spotlight to the problem. And what do you think? How maybe tell me tell me more of the stories that you've seen when you've seen maybe leaders or organizational or people that have normally been detached from the problem, getting more embedded into the problem and more kind of aware. Like when did you see the the, the light bulb coming up or the aha moment coming up from the other person? So I, I think a lot of stars need to align for people to realize, mm-hmm. uh, okay, this is real, this is important. So I think the 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 threat is real. No one can no one can avoid it anymore. It's become one of the largest risks uh, to the financial institution or or even to countries at this point. And I think, unfortunately, that helps sell the story, right? I mean, there's there's no mm-hmm. there's no better incentive or better story than the, <laughs> the last incident that happened 
uh, mm -hmm. or whatever is the the largest incident that just happened to your your peer company your your competitor and that's where i think exercises you see when something happens to your 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 peer institution it is a yes you can you can do your after action review you can do your postmortem you can do your research study all you want you pull out the top 10 things and you try and implement it it's it is you don't get the value of okay being put on the hot seat and mm. really diving into their position and say okay if this if i were to encounter the same problem at the same scale am i ready to respond even better than company a and that's where exercises bring uh, the leaders into that situation it gives them the opportunity to exercise their clarity of thought their prioritization in their business um, what's really important mm -hmm. and that's where they get at the end of the day that's where the practice comes into play and when touch wood a real incident happens they would have be they would be more comfortable because they have gone through those difficult conversations before and they would have a bit more hopefully more rigor in their thought and uh, better considerations rather than the first time they are, imagine the first time they're being asked do we want to pay the ransom and if that's the first right. time in a real incident oh, there, there will be a difficult question to answer but if we we take the time and pressure out of a real incident put it in a scenario exercise give them the considerations give them advice give them lessons learned from other companies and therefore they will come to a conclusion that would hopefully be much more full of wisdom rather than in in the middle of a, a crisis try to decide something we all know that we we, we don't make the best decisions uh, under pressure and actually that, that that's a really good point not making decision under pressure not making decision on the spot how have you found your military preparation to give you maybe the edge or not the edge in those kind of situations? What are the tools and techniques that you have discovered in the past that gives you the edge in this new civil life and in this new kind of environment? You know, what, what, what did you discover? Something that you thought it was a good skill, but then it became a superpower in, in the second, second part of your life. <laughs> yeah. I think that's that's a that's a very interesting question because in the military we are not used or we are very used to exercises and failing mm -hmm. at exercises because we know that in war in operations there's there's no tolerance for failure there's no margin of error because if that happens someone may lose a limb someone touch would lose mm -hmm. their life so the understanding that exercises are there for you to fail and learn quickly so that when this goes live, we, we, we would have um, covered, we have discovered our blind spots. We would have uh, put in steps to mitigate it as much as possible. Um, so that when we go live, when we go into operations, we are, yeah, we're going with our eyes open rather than let's learn and okay. discover along the way. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's no, there's, uh, there's, there's, there's lesser tolerance or uh, appetite for, for such risks in, in military operations. So I think when we look uh, across to the corporate environment, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of lessons there. We, we, we should utilize exercises to inform ourselves of what can go wrong. 
don't don't be afraid of the difficult questions uh, and and try and address it as best as we can. Will we cover all the risks? Will we cover all possibilities? No, but planning for it, going through it will give us that process, that thought process, give us that comfort, give us, and even simple things like knowing who we should talk to um, yes. if we were to encounter such an incident, whether it's an external vendor, whether it's a regulator, whether it's your law firm, you need to call them. <laughs> if something <laughs> were to happen. Um, having those yeah, having having walked through that, get update the numbers, get the correct names. I think all those are things that would help buy time and space in a crisis. It will help buy brain processing power because you don't want to think about such things during a crisis. You want to reserve your brain for the most critical decisions. You don't want to be thinking about, okay, who should I call? Rather, go through the exercise, come out with the action items, get the list of 10 people you should call, write it down, put it in your playbook so that touch wood, when that happens, pull it out, go down the checklist. Yes, call, don't call. Yes, don't. So it, it saves you time. It saves you brain power so that you spend that. In a crisis, you think of it, if you only have $10, you need to spend it wisely on right. in, in, in a crisis. You don't want to be spending $5 on things that you could have thought about 10 days ago. So I think that's where exercises help buy time and space and brain processing power in, in a crisis. Yeah, and that's, uh, I really like how you, how you framed it because it kind of formed the muscle memory on practitioner and you remove all that, if you want, crumbs of activities that traditionally can be prepared. So trying to remove as much as possible of uncertainty and prepare your team as much as possible in case of crisis so that they can have brain power energy and focus on really the problem that are there and then it can be kind of figured out this episode is brought to you by the generosity of phoenix security limited phoenix helps startups and enterprises solve complex software security supply chain visibility by leveraging the power of correlation and contextualization Phoenix platform connects to your repositories, scanners, and cloud, correlates all the information, and provides you with a prioritized list of vulnerabilities that need to be addressed first. Discover how Phoenix Security helps CISOs and developers remove friction and maximize the use of DevSecOps professionals at phoenix.security. Phoenix Security. Correlate, contextualize, and act on risk with one click. But maybe if you can mention a few things that people realize in a tabletop exercise that normally they wouldn't have thought about it, you know, what were your kind of discovery in this kind of aspect? What were your aha moment of the room uh, on, oh, we never thought about that. If you we, if we didn't do this exercise, we would have never think that that's particularly critical element or particular critical person, or particular critical process could fail because it just maybe one person, one process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think this things, the, the, the following things that I'm going to mention about, it's going to apply to whatever industry you're in, whatever company you're running. So, so one, let, let's, just, let's just use ransomware as a, a simple example, but one that is very common and unfortunately going to remain in our system for a while, I think. So are we allowed to pay the ransom? Are we even able to pay the ransom? Do we have a Bitcoin account set up? 
how are we going to get the bit how are we going to get the bitcoin what is the ramifications of paying that ransom legally are we allowed to pay what's the impact to our shareholders if we do pay the mm-hmm. ransom what is the what are there um media statements that we should put out before we pay that ransom what are the media statements that we should put out after we pay the ransom yeah and and insurance does that void our insurance do we need legal counsel before we even talk about this regulators are they involved in our decision or do we just tell them before after we make that payment agencies official uh, official agencies do we tell the police do we need to tell the police yeah so there's so many and, and this is just one question about paying the ransom so right. you can see how how it can yeah and we we need to ask these questions before it happens so that mm-hmm. um, we, we can get our ducks aligned um, we can get t's and i's cross and and maybe we would yeah i mean if if we come to it realization of an answer that oh, there's no way we can pay the ransom because <laughs> it's just too much damage then it helps the decision makers be put in a frame of mind to then quickly think about alternatives meaning what is the damage if we can't pay if we if everyone is in agreement that we should not pay the ransom then we can quickly move the conversation to okay so what so what now how do we recover mm-hmm. data how do we handle customer fallout how do we handle shareholder fallout how do we it's because we then move to a damage control situation rather than uh, right. trying to to prevent further or prevent or recover from this damage it, it, it moves us to the next phase of incident management the next phase of thinking and that's where the energy and time can be spent trying to yeah we, we know our hands are tight but rather than spend the time figuring out, finding out that our hands are tight, let's realize that our hands are tight way early and then we can right. spend the energy on the next best thing that we can do. How do we recover? How do we protect our reputation? How do we then recover data? How do we stand up alternative payment systems if that's what's being hit? Yeah, so I, I think that's yeah, there's some examples of uh, the different types of questions that have popped out when we run a simple ransomware exercise and hopefully that helps any company anyone that is a potential victim of ransomware which nowadays seems to be anyone and everyone so i, I think those questions are useful to start thinking about if you are a ceo to start asking your your board some of these questions obviously help help give them some guidance help pull in some legal teams to answer the hard questions before you, right. you bring it to the board of course the, a lot of this can be done prior a lot of it can it, at the end of the day it's a lot of uh, planning research and uh, due diligence uh, before we we can even start asking some of these questions and and actually on the point on the planning part I, i wanted to ask you know you mentioned you know discussing this thing with the board discussing this thing with the team how are usually those war game played and what kind of different level of question depending on the audience how do you plan for like okay let's let's plan for a ransomware exercise or let's run for a data breach exercise you know do you talk with the board first do you talk with the team who do you involve how do you structure those exercises 
Yeah. So I, I think that's very important. That comes down to what are your objectives of the exercises. So I think that that is, yeah, first and foremost has to be very clear um, what, why and what are the objectives of a particular exercise. So, and, and that would branch out to how you're going to, how and what type of exercises you would use. So for example, if our objective is to um, exercise the decision makers about reaction or responses, and, and it can be sort of broken down into a few categories. One is legality point of view, what, what can we do? Another one is communications, external, internal, how are we going to handle that? And third, maybe is from an IT perspective, how can we mitigate and how can we recover? So if those are mm -hmm. the three broad topics, so to speak, then the next thing you need to think about is, okay, who do I need to answer those questions? Because you don't want to pull in your 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 highest leadership and then start talking about IT problems. There'll be you you lose them after five you lose them after five minutes and you'll never see them again for any other exercise, right? Because we, we know That's they very good don't point. have the patience and, and fair enough. They are they're paid big money to not to hear your IT solutions. They're here to to, to hear your recommendations and your your best technology solution that yeah. So the objectives would drive the type of questions would drive the type of exercises. So if your objective of the exercise is to test your security controls, is to test your incident response, um, and test your uh, other, a, a bit more technical risk mitigation mm -hmm. type of uh, scenarios or objectives, then your exercise may take on a, a bit more functional. Uh, so whether it's a, a specific pen testing or a like I mentioned earlier, adversary emulation. That's where you get your red team or a vendor's red team to go a bit wild and um, really <laughs> test the controls that you have in place so that one, you are assured that in the real world, your controls work. Because we all know, yes, there's testing before you launch your, your, your tools. But the test, the test is written in the test case, step one, step two, step mm -hmm. three. Detect, yes, great, pass, let's launch this. But that's not how threat actors work, unfortunately. I mean, yes, we can <laughs> we can we can write we can write the test scripts as as close as possible, but threat actors are gonna move quicker than your 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 tools. They're they're more creative, they have no ethics. So that's where if your objectives of the exercises are to test your sensitivity of your tools, how your team how, they, how does your SOC detect, escalate incidents, communicate about it? How do they pull in other teams to help uh, some of, yeah, because like the SOC doesn't have control of all your tools. Like networks has it's a whole separate team to, mm -hmm. to, to manage networks. How do they then communicate what they want the network team to do? And yeah, I think that type of exercise would uh, take on a whole different a bit more functional, a bit more risky. And that involves a lot more planning, a lot more uh, risk controls so that your CEO doesn't get woken up because your rate team is testing something. So it, it falls back to what are your objectives so that you can be clear in what your design is and who's involved, what type of questions you're asking and uh, 
hopefully your exercise would be designed well enough to to answer some of those uh, objectives clearly present and in terms of no not not bothering or not waking up the, the, the senior leadership how does CISO justify the return on investment because of course you need to involve several people you need to stop maybe doing some more heavy pressure activity so how do you usually justify the benefit of the return on investment of those activity so i think there are two probably two incentives of how we can do it i think one is always involve your risk team your mm-hmm. risk team is there to help support you your risk team is there to help advocate for your activities because they should understand the risks they should understand how your exercises um, help to mitigate some of the risks so i think the, the the CISO has to be lockstep with with the risk team so that they are there to support each other uh, the CISO to answer risks the risk to validate that yeah this makes sense and we we support it so that's that's one that is i guess a bit more within control the second is uh, industry pressure from regulators regulators are exercises are being recognized uh, more and more uh, by regulators about the value that they bring to validate readiness to validate resilience because you can buy you can spend x, uh, x amount of dollars on all the tools but if you can't pull your thing together in yeah. an incident then it's all, it's useless because so what if you spend x amount for your your latest DLP tool but your sock <laughs> doesn't know what to do with it your sock doesn't know who to call they don't know how to how to how to respond block traffic if that happens then it is yeah so i think that's those those two one make make best friends with your risk team and uh, mm-hmm. go to the board together to 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 help um, articulate the value and then second understand the regulatory uh, environment now and yeah use that to your advantage and really um leverage on what the regulators are looking not even looking currently go above and beyond what they're looking for so mm-hmm. that you become the example within your industry and they can go bother the other companies for the next 12 months after you deliver that <laughs> <laughs> that's a very good suggestion it's like direct people to go and bother other people other company directly regulated yeah. to point to other companies so that you can focus on actually doing security um, not yeah. to say that regulation is not security, but you know, just throwing it out there. <laughs> yeah, and and if if you, I think regulators are open to uh, innovative ways because, yes, while they are regulators, they also want to be ahead of the curve. They also mm-hmm. want to, they also want to provide uh, standards and policies that not only solve yesterday's problems but hopefully solve tomorrow's right. problems so if you are able to then demonstrate that con- not convince how would i put it uh, bring them along with to mm-hmm. in, on your journey uh, they they would surely appreciate it and uh, that would help them move further ahead of the curve as well and overall the industry the sector benefits from your thought leadership so that the entire sector be- becomes more secure Brilliant. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. Now that we're coming more close towards the time uh, of, of our end of our chat, what do you think will be a positive message for leaders, for cybersecurity professionals out there or your fellow 
your fellow veterans uh, to change into into the industry to take the leap as you've done very courageously into changing completely scenario. What is the positive message that you want to leave our audience with? Yeah, so I think the the industry is uh, certainly exciting. It's certainly growing. Unfortunately, we 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 it the threat is real. The threat is growing. So. Uh, likewise, the industry has to has to. I don't think we will ever overtake the threat actor. Um, that's the na- that's the nature of the beast, and and therefore, yeah, there's always going to be opportunities. There is always going to be uh, a welcoming of good leaders, people who have uh, been through a physical conflict. You will definitely mm-hmm. be well equipped to handle or help value add. In a cyber conflict, um, there are certainly a lot of parallels uh, with, with with the military and, and cyber security or cyber defense. So I think for for veterans, yes, we may not bring the the best technical skills to be able to um, handle some of the more um, specific type of uh, work, but I think uh, leadership uh, ability to handle crisis, confidence communication, clarity. I think all those are useful traits that, yeah, I think the cybersecurity uh, industry definitely can do more of or can, can benefit from. And yeah, so I think for, for leaders as well, the industry is still very young compared to a lot of other industries and good leadership is required because if, that, if there's no good leadership, people would get you will lose your focus because there's just so mm-hmm. many things to focus on you will lose your motivation because you seem to be not able to win the war right because it's day after day of alerts incidents and you if there is no good leadership to motivate and keep the morale up it is very easy to burn get out fatigued. it's very easy to lose fatigue lose lose people, lose confidence. And that's where things start to fall apart because you, you end up in a sense of helplessness, which is, mm-hmm. is, is that detrimental to quality of operations, which you need to keep at a higher standard uh, in order to have the best chance against the adversary. Brilliant. No, that's, that's, that's a very good point that warfare and cyber warfare are becoming extremely close to <laughs> Brilliant. Lester, thank you so much for coming to the show. If anybody wants to follow more of your advice, you're very active on LinkedIn, but can you give us uh, where you operate, where, where they can find you, more of you? Yeah, so I think LinkedIn is the probably the easiest way to, to keep up with uh, some of the things that I share. I, I write about a lot about uh, exercises and drills because that's my area of specialty. Yeah, so if you can uh, look for me, uh, Lester Chung on LinkedIn and uh, that's where I share most of my information. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Lester, for sharing with us the cyber warfare and the way the people from military can then re, re- skill in cybersecurity in very different way and gain their superpower. So everybody, thank you so much for listening. And this was Francesco. Stay safe and stay combat ready out there. And if you're a veteran that is considering a move in cybersecurity, we've done tons of podcasts. So please do consider it because we need more of you in the industry. That's that. Thank you very much for coming to the show and thank you for sharing. Thank you so much, Francesco. Uh, enjoyed myself thoroughly. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Stay safe. Thank you.
We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcast and post it on social media tagging Cybersecurity Cloud Podcast for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Discover other episodes at www.cybersecuritypodcast.com.